Hello and welcome back. It's episode eight of AHP's Off the Record. My name is Enna. And my name is Jo. And today we're actually finally interviewing one of our own. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time that we are interviewing a physio other than doing our first podcast interviewing ourselves. And this is also only our second male AHP that we're interviewing. And also one of very few that we've interviewed so far who works outside of London. Yeah, we're actually so grateful to be joined today by an amazing physiotherapist who has many accolades to his name. Uh, Some may actually know him better as um, the consultant PT on Twitter. So today we are joined by Uzo Ehiogu. Um, Uzo, do you mind just introducing yourself to everyone who might not know you? Sure. Hi. Yeah, thank you for for, um, for, um, having me on. Um, yeah, I'm very privileged, I must say. Um, yeah, my name's uh, Uzo, and um, so I'm a uh, musculoskeletal physiotherapist, um, in essence. Um, so I work in Birmingham. Um, but I guess um, I, I probably have my finger in quite a few pies. Um, so I do quite a few things. Um, fundamentally, um, I work in the National Health Service at the Royal Orthopaedic Hospital in Birmingham um, as a clinical teaching fellow. Um, so fundamentally, the job is, involves really teaching uh, fourth-year medics, um, GP registrars, and um, also post-grad uh, musculoskeletal physiotherapists. Um, and that's, in essence, it's, um, it's 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 a clinical teaching role um, within the hospital, uh, teaching orthopedics and also musculoskeletal assessment and also examination and such like. Um, and so that's kind of my that's if you like. I guess part of my role um, and that role provides me with, with the autonomy that I um, love and, and the freedom <laughs> that I love to do the other thing that I really 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 enjoy which is um, musculoskeletal rehabilitation and also uh, physical preparation so I sort of um, I, I sort of cross a few professions I guess because I cross um, strength and conditioning um, and also musculoskeletal physiotherapy in both outpatient and also um, I guess the inpatient setting, but um, yeah. So that's that's kind of in a nutshell the two pies. Um, I have a special interest in climbers as well. So my private work, um, private practice is um, it's, a, it's a practice called Inside Edge Physiotherapy. Um, we specialise in climbers fundamentally. So all of our patients, pretty much, are climbers. So that's sort of my special special interest, if you like. Um, and then the final thing I do, I guess, is um, I'm involved in, uh, I work as a consultant um, for two uh, international charities that provide uh, humanitarian assistance um, to people who have been seriously injured um, and have needed to have their limbs reconstructed uh, fundamentally because they're war casualties or, or, or casualties from uh, military conflicts. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of in a nutshell what I do. Um, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so what we normally do at this point in the podcast is give a brief explanation of what the profession that we are interviewing is for anyone who doesn't know. It feels a little bit weird doing this for physiotherapy. Um, and I've taken this partly from the CSP, the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy website, and partly from my own brain. So here we go. Physiotherapy helps to restore movement and function when someone is affected by injury, illness or disability, which includes problems with the bones, joints and soft tissue, brain or nervous system, heart and circulation or lungs and breathing. Through providing movement and exercise, manual therapy, education and and advice, physiotherapists can help patients of all ages to maintain their health, manage pain, prevent disease or further injury and be as independent as possible. Anything to add, Izzo? <laughs> um, no, I, actually, I think that's quite comprehensive, and um, I think it's a, I think it's very comprehensive, and uh, and I think actually uh, it's quite nice that we have such a broad definition of what we do as physiotherapists, because I think uh, my own personal take and my own personal philosophy on the matter is um, we are all of one, and we all started we all start as physiotherapists and we all cover uh, all of the specialities and I think that's really what uh, for me makes our profession so special um, is because we do we do cover pretty much all of the systems um, and 
you know, the vast majority of us end up doing rotations where we're, we're able to consolidate that. And that's, and, that's, and that's a really powerful position to be in, um, I think, as a physiotherapist. I sort of look back and I think, actually, I either must have had a really wise head on my shoulders or um, I just must have had really good mentors. And I think it was probably maybe a combination of the two, but probably just really good mentors. Because one of, one of my really good mentors was my sister, actually. My sister, mm. uh, she's a, she's a, uh, criminal, a criminal law lawyer. Certain people pop up through your career who mm. are quite instrumental. And often they're instrumental because they believe in you. So our first question for you, Zoe, is we've been asking most of our um, most of our guests how they got into their profession. And usually it has just been through they've discovered something else and then they've gone to university and then they've been like, OK, I'm going to do this degree. But I know yours was, was slightly different, wasn't it? Do you mind telling us a little bit about how you got yeah, into yeah. physio? No, sure. <laughs> no, I sort of, I sort of um, yeah, I sort of fell into physio, I guess, really, no pun intended, because um, <laughs> I was not, I was knocked off my bike um, in the middle of central London. Um, and at the time, actually, interesting enough, so I was a, I was a reservist in uh, the Royal Marines. And um, I was also a student as well. I was a, I was a catering student, actually. So I studied um, hotel catering and institutional operations. At that time, I thought I wanted to work in catering. Uh, subsequently realised that I didn't want to. Um, and, <laughs> subsequently so yeah no so I was knocked off my bike and um, I had whiplash um, at the time I don't think we called it whiplash at the time but um, I was lucky enough because I was in the Romarines Reserve and I was actually working at the time um, at a it was a military tattoo in central London that they used to run every year uh, called the Royal Tournament anyway um, long story short there was a military physiotherapist there um, who uh, worked on my neck and it was, it was just amazing it was my first experience of physiotherapy and I was like wow this is amazing um how can I get into this because this seems like really really cool um so I got talking to him and um and he was a military physiotherapist interestingly enough and he'd done a degree in history um and then obviously done a degree in physiotherapy and he sort of explained that you know it's a long process blah 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 and I was like oh long process okay so I started looking into it and um and I was like hmm okay right well this this might be quite challenging because uh, I think you need to know a little bit about science don't you and um and I think um yeah the science of boiling an egg doesn't really quite cut it does it so um so so I ended up so I ended up um having to really think quite hard about it actually and I was you know I was quite motivated at the time anyway and so working with OTs working with the physios um the uh Will Winterbottom um who was like the senior he was the first male physio I'd met who was not in musculos who, who was not a musculoskeletal <laughs> physiotherapist and he was absolutely amazing he, he would probably blush now if I said that but he was just so amazing so thoughtful so considered in everything he did and, and, and you know when you sort of you kind of remember that and I've been on a few podcasts recently and you know I, I'm on Twitter and and a lot is said about role models and you know and mm. for those that for those that don't know i'm black okay and will wasn't black he was white but actually he was you know it was at that really early stage of my career before i was even a physio he was actually quite influential because he gave me a break and also he was quite supportive as well um in quite a sort of nurturing sort of way because he was it was, there was him and there was another guy who i'm still friends with actually who was a junior physio um, who'd also been an assistant in the unit, working class background, so on and so forth. And so it was really, it was really, um, really quite instrumental. And actually, I've gone through my career where, yeah, and, and, and actually, often that's actually all you really need. You just need someone to have some belief in you and also just to sometimes just to give you a bit of direction because, you know, you, you can't know what the right direction to make is if you've not been there already and sometimes it's worthwhile getting you know getting someone else's um opinion on, on which direction to go so that is how i got into physiotherapy sorry a bit long-winded 
But um, but yeah, that's how I got there. Really, that was, that was the start of um, a really good career. I really enjoyed it. Actually, yeah, it's been really good so far. As, at the time, I was um, so I was a marine reservist. Um, I was I, I was just about to finish my um, BTEC in hotel and catering, and I just and I just won. Um, I just, well, I say I'd just been elected as a student union officer um, at my further education college. So I effectively had a year working as a student union officer. So I had a year working in the college and the college basically said, look, if you want, uh, you can read the GCSEs and then do and, and then work towards A levels. And I'm just like, actually, do you know something? I'm not quite sure I really want to do A level. I'm not quite sure I really want to go back and do GCSEs. I'm not sure how much I really want this. Um, but it was another way, and the other way was to do an access course to um, health and science, and that just seemed that just seemed a little bit more interesting, and also opened up other pathways as well. So, um, but that was going to be a long way, you see, because I realised that having done loads and loads of homework, I realised that actually I was going to end up having to do a degree in something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that degree ended up being applied sports science, but I've kind of worked on the proviso that, well, okay, if I get a degree in applied sports science, um, it gives me a couple of years to work out what it is I want to do. If I'm really no good at this, I'm probably going to be no good at physiotherapy. So maybe I should just, you know, uh, uh, quit, while I'm, quit while I'm ahead, but I'll still have a degree in something. So I did a degree um, in applied sports science, absolutely loved it. And, and I just threw myself into the physiology, the biomechanics, um, and anything that I thought had any relationship to physiotherapy. I wasn't interested in psychology, which is the irony, because years further down the road, I realised how important it was um, <laughs> it, when it actually came to managing patients. But that was just the irony of it, wasn't it, really? So, um, yeah, so I threw myself into it, and um, lo and behold, luckily enough, I think probably because I treated it like, I treated the degree like it was a job. I was like, okay, this is a campaign. It's a job. I just need to apply myself and just get through it. And I came away, um, surprised myself. I came away with, with a first. Um, and then I went into physiotherapy and I, and I got on a physiotherapy course, uh, a physiotherapy course at the University of East London. They, they took a chance on me, really. But yeah, but it was a tricky one. To, um, I think back then, we're talking like 17 years ago, which, which like I have to pinch myself sometimes because it's, it's quite a long time. And, and I'm like, oh, God, it was 17 years ago. But, you know, back then, <laughs> it was, if you were a guy, everyone assumed that you wanted to work in sport. And guess what? I wanted to work yeah. in sport. In sport. But I was told, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I was told from the outset, because I was, you know, she was the first to go to university in our, in our family. And, and I remember how hard she had to work to get, to get a job so that she could um, do, her, do her articles, which is like her apprenticeship. And she, and she, had, she spent so much time working for nothing doing voluntary work in like you know the citizens advice bureau and stuff and, and i remember her saying to me she said look if you want to get into this you need to get some experience and you just basically need to give up your time for nothing so i wrote i literally i literally it was back in the day as well when we didn't have like i had a really simple word word processor and i remember like <laughs> trying to print off i like i had a printer and i had to go to a shop with a disc with like a floppy disc and print off multiple letters and I remember like having to like print off these letters and like handwrite the address in and pretty much I sent a letter to pretty much every single hospital that was in like the yellow pages I know no one knows what the yellow pages now is <laughs> but like I had to send, I had to send a letter to every single hospital uh, pretty much in East London basically begging okay to be an assistant for nothing for like one day a week and I was really lucky because actually I ended up getting a phone call from Homerton uh, Hospital in um, East London, which actually was like mm-hmm. ten minutes, ten minutes from home as well. It was so cool because it was like you know two minutes from my school, from my secondary school. And to cut a long story short, um, I ended up in neuro, believe it or not, I ended up as an assistant one Amazing. day a week, one day a week in a stroke unit. And and it was so it, it was so good just to get that to get some professional socialisation really early before I'd even started the course. And, and I would turn up and I didn't know what on earth I was doing, but I knew a bit about sports science because I was in my you know, second or third year. I've been a personal trainer for a year or two. And I just remember it was just really interesting. I didn't know anything, but it was also quite sad because stroke patients are, you know, I've never seen a stroke patient before. And, and it was 
quite sad but also really good because you were immersed amongst all these physios and so I spent some time yeah so I spent pretty much a year and a half I spent all of my second year and most of my third year um, of my sports science degree one day a week on a Monday um, at Homerton Hospital it hasn't been all good don't get me wrong I'm not like oh it's been wonderful (laughs) it's been wonderful and nothing's ever gone wrong no 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 far from it but in general 80-20 read you know the Pareto principle (laughs) 80% of it has been brilliant 20% 20% has been, well, we won't. So, Uzo, you mentioned about the fact that you had various mentors when you were starting early on in your career. Um, and you mentioned, actually, that your one of your bigger mentors when you first started wasn't necessarily um, a Black mentor. Do you think that that was having a Black mentor as a physiotherapist is um, was important for you or actually it didn't really make a difference? It was more the support that you you got from whoever was your senior at the time. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I mean, it's a good question. Um, and I think like all, like all things that are a little bit complicated, it depends, doesn't it? Um, it depends on numerous factors. Um, but, but certainly, you know, looking at it from my own perspective, I can say, well, um, yeah, right at the very, very start, uh, my first mentor was white, they weren't black. But then when I then became a, a junior, my first junior job, in fact, actually, uh, Pat Smith, so um, she was a, a manager and a team lead. Um, and she was black, interestingly enough. Um, you know, so that was really um, helpful. And then actually, subsequent, subsequent from there, um, most of all of, my, all of my other mentors, certainly in the uh, MSK realm anyway, uh, like people that I actually had access to, mainly they were um, white males who were working class, interestingly enough, just because I had uh, access to them. Obviously, you know, there was other people who I would read about, um, you know, the likes of um, Andrew uh, Jaggy, you know, um, the uh, shoulder consultant um, at Stanmore. You know, I mean, I was reading her work when I was a junior physiotherapist um, and and was really inspired. And and I'm I'm, I'm probably still a bit uh, starstruck, actually, by her. Um, But but, um, I think to answer your question... um, like I say, it does depend, but I do think it's more about the support that you get from people and whether they believe in you or not. Um, and and they can be any colour. And it, as I say, it's all about the support. It, it's more about what support you get um, and and also at what time in your career. Now, I'm not saying that actually having people who look like you isn't, isn't 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 helpful because it probably is very helpful but you know at the moment we're in a situation where um you know there probably isn't an abundance of um you know uh, people who look like me say you know for example who are at the aa level um and above um who are doing maybe the things that you're interested in so you know so you know you may end up having to be a trailblazer um Mm. and that's okay that's okay. It's, you know, find good people who believe in you, um, who can provide you with um, support and mentorship, um, you know, to allow you to move through your career, I would say. And I bet having having that experience of, of um, you know, working in an acute setting before you even started the course must have mm. been so valuable, first of all, in... in mm. Um, supporting your application to get onto the course but also then when you started going on placements as a physio student sort of having that that upper hand of already having um communicate with patients yeah. and work as part of a team must have been really useful it was no it was it was really useful actually and uh, you know and and obviously you know getting the getting the in information you know getting the uh, inside information <laughs> no it was you know getting the inside information was really yeah. quite helpful because I ended up going back to Homerton on a placement in my final year, interestingly enough, um, in respiratory. Uh, and that probably was enough to turn me off respiratory, but we won't go there. Uh, no, only, only in as much as I love physiology. And, and so one thing I've learned, um, and they shall remain nameless, but one thing I've learned, and certainly when I work with students, um, and I'm sort of going off tack slightly, but one thing I've learned is um, I, all, I never treat students like they're students. I always treat them as their colleagues. And 
um, I, I do remember having two very different experiences as a student because I went back there and did an elective and um, I went back and I remember going into a going into an ESP's clinic an ESP clinic at the time this is we're talking you know 15 years ago when actually ESP's um, extended scope practitioners they were in their infancy and I remember being introduced um, to a patient I was a student I looked like a student and there was this uh, band band AA consultant physio who introduced me to um a consultant radiologist and also a patient who was sat there as his colleague and I, and that's always stayed with me because I was like wow actually you've just made me feel really important and but then the other experience I had um in respiratory I felt like I was a student badly I didn't you know like I really felt like I was a student and and so I've never was so, that because um... Sorry. Sorry, was that because of the way you were made to feel, or yeah, was that absolutely. more you, in terms of your clinical knowledge no, and no, understanding no. at the time? No, it wasn't really because I, I, I sort of, I, I was a very good student. Yeah, you know, mm. without kind of labouring the point, I did look. I was dyslexic, and so I knew I had to work twice as hard. I had, I really had a work ethic. My work ethic was, okay, this is a job. This is, I'm not a student. This is a job. This is like serious. I need to get through this because um, I don't want to have to reset anything. So I, I literally, like, and remember, I joined the Marines at 16. Yeah. So I was used to discipline. <laughs> I was used to discipline and, and I was used to putting my head down and getting on with stuff. So I treated it really like it was a job. And I did. I, I worked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I had Sunday off. Hour for hour. Yeah. So we, we, we had 18 hours of compact time. I did at least 18 hours um, of private study because I had to. Because, well, you know what physiotherapy is like. Physiotherapy, yep. metaphorically, it's like a shopping bag, isn't it? The shopping bag, it gets filled up with loads of information. They keep filling the shopping bag full of more knowledge. Oh, okay. So it, it, it's, it's overfilling now. Let's put some more stuff in it um yeah and, and that was and that was my life in physio I was like oh my god there's more information so in order to in order to in order to survive I had to treat it like a job so when I got onto my respiratory placement you know remember I had a degree in applied sports science I kind of got it it was the you know the treatment stuff yes that was all new but it was just like we were just treated quite badly as students and 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 that's never left me so whenever, whenever I've had students as a educator, I've always kind of thought because I was teetering, you see, I was teetering on outpatients or respiratory because, because respiratory mm. had such a physiological um, basis to it. I was like, I like this. I, love, I really like ITU. This is really cool, ITU, because, you know, it's like instant gratification, isn't it? You, you kind of, you do yeah. something, you look at the numbers, it's changed. Aha, great, <laughs> it's changed. I've had an effect. I always got really wound up at the time when we, when we used to watch, um, like in the mornings um, years ago, uh, we used to have City Hospital and there'd normally be a physio, you know, they'd normally pan in on some, on, on some young junior physio who wanted, to be on, who wanted to be on camera and, oh, what are you doing, um, John, or, or whatever? Oh, I'm just getting this lady up and I'm taking her for a walk. And I was like, no! No, don't say that. No, no. It's much more complicated than that. Yes, you're taking her for a walk. Yeah. But this is your opportunity to tell them <laughs> everything about what's going on. What are the physiological effects? What's going on? What's changing? What are you actually doing? You're not taking them for a walk. And I was like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. So you can imagine. So I was like, actually, I could go into this. I think this would be really good. And that placement massively put me off. Oh, do you know something? No way. But, and that hasn't been lost on me. So whenever now, you know, okay, obviously part of my role now, I teach students. Um, I do that. That's like, you know, three days a week, I'm working with students clinically. Um, okay, they're mainly medics. Um, but, you know, it's never been, it's never been lost on me that actually, um, you know, someone can really encourage you a really good mentor and a really good educator can encourage you um to move into a speciality um based upon yeah. how they treat you um how enthusiastic they are how passionate they are about what it is they want to do and also just how 
how much they're willing to want to develop you and to really kind of get the most out of you. So that's never been lost on me. Um, and, and again, you know, I'm the same. I refer to, I never refer to students as students. I always refer to them as colleagues. Always, always refer to them as colleagues. Because I just think it puts them on the back foot. You know, when, when you've got a patient yeah. there and you introduce them as a student, yeah, of course, you know, the patient needs to know that it's a student. Um, you know, at some point I might, you know, intimate that it's a student, but the introduction shouldn't be, here's my student. You know, because, you know, as soon as you start talking, the patient's looking at you. The patient is no, is no longer interested in the student because as far as they're concerned, the student's got no idea what's going on. And, and, mm-hmm. and, there's, a, and there's a fine balance, I think. There's a fine balance to be you know, to be got from it. Um, but yeah, no, that's kind of one of the experiences which has never been lost on me, actually. I think that's really good from our perspective because I guess we've, both Joe and I are, are band six physios and we have students ourselves. And I think the way that I, I, I treat my students, or at least I like to think so, is very much in terms of what you're saying because you remember how you were treated as a student Absolutely. and you reflect on your own personal experiences mm. and hopefully try and take the good things of what you've seen in, in your leaders and your your mentors Absolutely. and very much try and hopefully discard the negative yeah. um aspects of those experiences or even hopefully it just makes you a bit more aware of if you are kind of going down a route that you think actually no this is what you experienced how did that make mm. you feel in that scenario and then trying to at least trying to change it to give give the student the best experience they can and with these podcasts as well we want to encourage we don't want to lie I think Mm. it's really important that we are honest about physiotherapy being a being difficult Mm. and you've obviously explained your journey in terms of of how to get there and um there's loads of different ways to be able to get to physio but hard work is inevitable (laughs) it's it's needed and you, you need to have that dedication and we don't want to lie to students about that but I think, as you said, if you've got a couple of mentors or people that are ha- happy to kind of stick their neck out for mm. you or, or believe in you or um, people that you really respect in that profession, it makes the world a difference. It makes that hard work so much more gratifying and you will do it. You will just do it. I completely agree. Completely. Uh, I do. I completely agree with you. And, 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 it, and it's funny, isn't it? Because I, I have people who I'm in awe of in physio. I'm absolutely in awe of them. And and they will, you know, you know, and I'm like, oh my god, it's it's sensei. I've just spoken to, um, I've just <laughs> I've just I've just spoken to Angie Jaggy. Oh my god, I'm like in awe, absolutely just in awe of her. And she'll be blushing now, I'm sure. If she if she was listening, she'll be like mm. really embarrassed. But I'm so in awe. Like there's so many people. I'm like, I'm oh, good. I'm so in awe. You know, people like Neil Langridge. Uh, Chris Mercer, they're uh, musculoskeletal physiotherapists, you know, real, real experts, like that real, real, I'm just a fraud, but they are like real experts in, in musculoskeletal <laughs> physiotherapy. And um, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, I view them as, you know, massively as, as mentors and sort of senses, and but they're, but they're like so, they're so laid back about it. They're like, yeah, no, you're just a mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're just a man. I'm like, no, no, actually, you're like my mentor. Like, you, you really are. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you're right. You do need to. It's, it's really important to to find, you know, to find people who who can be mentors. It doesn't mean that it has to be mentors for you every single week, every single day. Sometimes it's just a conversation. It's like, you know, um, you know neural language as an example. You know, I might only speak to him on Twitter. We will kind of, you know, chat sort of thing. But I might only speak to him three times a year. But often it's almost like, oh, yeah, well, the last time I spoke to you was six months ago, but it's like it was yesterday. But and it's just that and, and often it's because I'm just not sure. I'm like, you know, Neil, mm. how do I develop this part of my career? I'm really not quite sure where to go. I feel like a bit of a fraud, actually, uh, at the moment. And like, how do I develop this? It's that imposter it syndrome. Is, it is. It, it, it really is. And like, you know, I've been doing this for like 17 years and, and I've got, you know, and I'm, you know, I don't mind saying I, I'm probably, as my wife says to me, she says, do you know something? I married the wrong guy, didn't I? You know, like, I really did marry <laughs> the wrong guy. Because, like, you, you never stop studying. You spend all this money on this profession that doesn't really pay that well. Yeah, it's okay. But, but like, if I compare, you know, I should have just, I should have married that 
that doctor, shouldn't I? Because, you know, I've been working <laughs> part-time now. Um, and you're like, you're doing another course. Like, was one MSc not enough? Well, you know, just, just interested. And you're like, is it going to lead to more money? And, and, and that's, that's, kind of, that's sort of her. You know, she, you, know, she's, you know, she's cool with it. But I think, um, yeah, you've kind of got to, you've got to, it's a vocation. It really is a vocation, isn't it? And like, it's hard. Being a physiotherapist is hard. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite hard. Like, you know, so Joe, you're a neurophysio, um, you're, you're a, a pelvic health physio. And I think physiotherapy is really hard mm. because um, we're having to make decisions about stuff, right, where there's a lot of uncertainty um, because, of, because, yeah. of, because of the complexity of the presentation in front of you. Yeah, okay. Some things are really clear-cut. Some presentations are really clear-cut. It's really, really easy. And um, you can just do it on autopilot. But often, you know, you're having to make decisions with um, with not all the information. You know, we don't have mm-hmm. rapid access to imaging. So in muscular in the musculoskeletal world, like some people do if you're an ESP, if you work in a you know, in a in, in a in a triage or diagnostic clinic, you do. But often, you know, I mean, you know, physiotherapist, um, whether you're neuro, whether you're pelvic health, whether you're MSK, um, you know, to do a really good job, there's often a lot of complexity, and actually, there's a lot of um, there's a, there's often a lot of gaps in our knowledge, and we've and we've got to kind of you know make the wisest decisions that we can, often with a lot of uncertainty and not all the information and that's really cool because it then means that actually you have to be able to really be quite good at problem solving um and that problem involves um you know some degree of both like well yeah it often involves the ability to be able to think in loads of different spaces so you know being able to think in a biomechanical um sort of frame being able to think in a physiological frame being able to think in a social frame being able to think in an in a economic frame being able to think in, in a more organizational frame of reference you've got all these different frames to think of a psychological frame you've got all these different frames to think of and often you know there's always gaps so you end up making the best decision based upon the information that you have that can also sometimes be quite difficult and also quite worrying, especially if you're the sort of person that, that likes certainty, you know, mm. that really mm. likes certainty. It's fascinating. One of the things that we tend to talk about with our guests is basically everything that's been happening more recently with the pandemic. <laughs> And we've been asking people how their practices change due to everything that's happened with COVID, but also a little bit about how that has affected like you as a person, like what, how, so basically some like personal reflections mm. that have happened maybe in the last year or so. Um, but yeah, if you yeah, don't no, mind sure. touching on that, that'd well, be great. COVID's, COVID's been quite interesting. Um, in, a, in, as much, <laughs> in as much as, so pretty much overnight, um, our physiotherapy department, our physiotherapy uh, team went into overdrive pretty much like all of our all of our sixes and fives got moved onto the wards all of the uh eight eights and sevens all got moved onto the phones and we started um basically delivering physiotherapy over the phone which is not the most joyous thing to do i'm not gonna lie <laughs> it's not the most joyous <laughs> thing to do um but you know one of the good things that came off the back of it i suspect was um we started doing video um, video-based consultations. Yeah. Um, and that was a game-changer, I think, personally. That was an absolute game-changer. Um, so a personal reflection um, was um, the, the rapid transition um, in technology that, that was allowed to happen yeah. because it had to happen. In order for us to get onto video, it would have taken maybe about five or six years and loads of bureaucracy. But actually, because of a needs-must approach... Um, and, you know, and necessity overnight, pretty much, we went on to video. Now, there are challenges associated with video um, and also telephone. Uh, one of the benefits, before we talk about the challenges, one of the benefits is you, it, you really have to hone your clinical reasoning skills. Um, from that perspective, your communication skills go through the roof. 
because you really have to know what it is you want to achieve um, and you have to be able to talk the patient into talk the patient into what, what it is you want them to do or the information that you want to know. So, so I think for the profession, in terms of communication skills, um, that's been really positive. Um, I think one of, the, one of the downfalls of it is um, you have to make a lot of assumptions. Um, with video and with telephone, you have to make a lot of assumptions. Um, and because you have to make a lot of assumptions, and some people might say that this is, uh, you have to be good at pattern recognition, is you can make mistakes. Um, and, you know, mm. we're not talking about life and limb threatening type mistakes, uh, because, you know, people tend to have a really low threshold uh, for risk as far as, you know, important, you know, real serious things like quadriquina, spinal cord compression, mm. um, yeah. you know, spinal infections, like, you know, people have a low, really low threshold. But actually, clinically, you can make mistakes um, because you jump to conclusions because you have to make assumptions. That's one of the that's one of the pitfalls. Um, but I think for the profession, on on the whole, um, you know, my practice has certainly changed quite significantly. I now 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 one of my clinics is a virtual clinic, and I love it. Like I love it. One of my clinics is a virtual mm-hmm. clinic, and it's either telephone or it's either video. Um, and then the rest of my clinics are face to face clinics now. What, what I really like is I like the fact that, um, and well, you know, my, my, my preference, but obviously it depends upon risk assessment. Um, my preference is, first, is face-to-face consultation um, and then offering the patient the choice of what they want next. And that's the big thing, mm. the choice of what they want next. Mm. And, and this is really interesting because this, this idea of choice, it seems really, really simple. And it is. It really, really is. But this wasn't my brainchild of an idea. Um, so during COVID, um, I, was, I became a NHS um, clinical champion uh, for rehabilitation, for musculoskeletal rehabilitation. So um, NHS, NHS Horizons um, and the uh, National Director for Musculoskeletal Services, um, they set up a, basically, a, 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 a task, I call it a task force, so it's probably wrong phrase, really. But they they set up a uh, I'll call it a task force. They, they set up a task force to look into um, to to capture the positive advancements and and the positive things that took place during COVID within musculoskeletal services and also trauma orthopedics. Um, and and this task force was, was was essentially made up of uh, loads of clinical champions and also patient experience as well. Um, all musculoskeletal trauma health. So it's a mixture of rheumatologists, uh, so physios in rheumatology, uh, consultant physios in MSK and diagnostics, uh, rehabilitation, uh, pain management. Um, there was special interest groups like uh, ARMA, um, the, the British uh, the British Orthopaedic Association, uh, spinal consultants, trauma orthopedics. So, so a whole host of whole host of people all come together. And the idea was we 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 were. Um, crowdsourcing ideas from from our respective professions so there was there was like we were basically championing um we were basically on twitter um on blogs and so on and we were and we were getting clinicians to basically um write very short narratives about what had changed um, and one of the one of the key things um in the rehabilitation um stream which i was like the clinical champion called, actually came from a patient she said Actually, wouldn't it be great if on the day of my appointment, if I didn't feel well because I've got a long term condition, um, if I could change my face to face appointment to a video or a telephone? And I was like, do you know something? That is so amazing. Yeah. How difficult would that be? So (laughs) that so we so I saw that as, okay. hang on a minute. I wonder if I can do that in my own practice. Because I've got quite a lot of autonomy. And I was already on video. Mm. So I said, you know something? I'm going to try this in my own practice because it's such a good idea. And it's so easy. So I did. I just started doing it. So I just said, so, so now, um, what, what, what I can't do is I can't offer that on their first appointment because I haven't got complete buy-in from, um, from if you like, from the team 
you know, the rest of the team, okay? But mm-hmm. all my subsequent appointments, mm. I'm like, I just offer them. I, I just, I, I offer patients a choice. And that was a real eye-opener for me because that came from the lived experience of a patient. And prior to that, I'd mm. always paid lip service, really, to the lived experience of patients. You know, we yeah. know that we're meant to um, really listen to patients. We know that we're meant to do this co-productive um, you know, co-productive work with patients. What does, you know, what do patients think? And normally what happens is, you know, we get the token patient in to, to kind of to look over our protocols and to look over our guidelines and our standards, um, but they've already been written. Whereas this, whereas, whereas this mm. truly was co-production because we, had people, because we had patients with lived experience as a part of this group involved in the discussions, involved in the directions right from the very onset. And, and if I've taken anything away, it's like we don't always have the right answers. The people that have the best answers are often the people that it affects the most. Um, and that goes down to, and that comes yeah. back to both clinicians on the ground. It's like managers, you have to listen to people that are on the ground. Don't assume that you know what's going on. And, Often as well, if you want to bring something in, which is slightly controversial, and your, you know, and your sixes and sevens are up in arms about it, there's normally a reason for it because most physiotherapists love their job and they just want to get on and do a good job. So, so if there's dissent in the ranks, it normally means you need to put your tunic on, and you need to, and and, and you need to actually work whatever the new thing is you're bringing in. You need to try it yourself. And see how it works. You need to absolutely, and it's and it's the same principle, isn't it? I love principles because it's the same principle. You know, you do stuff to patients, and you say, look, you know, this was in the interest of patients, but you didn't ask patients. It doesn't make any sense. You know, hmm. so true. I think in, in every aspect of physio, um, you know, in all areas, the success of of your treatment can be so much magnified by involving the patient Absolutely. in decisions if they're able i think you know patients are so much more engaged if they, if they feel like they have some control over over the situation so i think that that must be really valuable in, in sort of giving them that Absolutely. that choice of of what format they want to have on the day oh, really? that, that sounds like such a good way to to engage Absolutely. them and make them feel Absolutely. and you know some control go on, sorry no go on, sorry Sorry, I was gonna say. I also think in that aspect, it know, seems like it? such an. It seems so obvious. Like it's something <laughs> so obvious that it's just like it should be a given. Perspective. Our patients are really enjoying the flexibility of having video consultations yeah. and um, not having to travel and not necessarily come in and putting them at risk. Um, yeah. So it's definitely Absolutely. been really, and I think, really and good I think thing as well. So we we were. We, we presented our work at the CSB conference last week. And, um, and, and I think, uh, and someone, someone asked the question um, about, you know, telephone rehab and so on. And I, and I think one of, the, one of the big things also that has probably changed during COVID, you know, we, we, we had, we, we know that during the COVID period, there's been a lot of, you know, social injustice um, around the world. Uh, you know, and it's uh, and it's you know, and it's you know now, yeah. especially now, it's it's pretty much at the forefront of people's minds, and um, and I think and and as I say, I was at the CSP mm. conference and I made a point, and you know, I, I guess sometimes I I get quite passionate about stuff, but I made a point, and you know, because someone asked the question about uh, you know video and and telephone and the fact that they didn't have. Did actually, I said, you know something? I think, unfortunately, COVID um, can be, not always, but can be used as a very good excuse to not see patients. Um, and, and I am, and I'm being controversial here, and, and I was controversial mm. at the conference, and I had to reflect on it, and I was like, was it really? <laughs> Should I have been? But no, you know, I'm, I'm very consistent in that, I'm consistent. I'm consistent. So I'm just going to say it. And obviously it's been awful, but then also what this time has allowed us to yeah. is doing a lot of like service development and actually putting our input in. We've been like, Oh, we would definitely never get like the go ahead on that. It's like now everyone's just like, let's just try it. Let's do these. Virtual yeah. 
Yes. And what I think is we have to be really careful about COVID. We do. We have to protect our patients absolutely 100%. But what we mustn't do is we mustn't make decisions for patients. And I think COVID is a really good example of where we're seeing, not in every case, but we're seeing um, departments that are making decisions for patients. So, so, for example, if they're diabetic, so they have a comorbidity, they're from a BAME um, background, okay, um, in inverted commas, um, and I don't like that phrase, but anyway, um, everyone understands it. So, you know, and they're over, say, 70, okay, well, we're saying actually, some places are saying you can't come in, you can't have a face to face. And I think, well, hang on a minute. This is, this is, this is, hang on. If you're like, if you have a comorbidity and you've had it for a period of time, I think it's longer than six months. Um, and, you know, it, it can be classed as a disability. So actually, we run the risk of discriminating against people based upon, um, you know, their demographic. So you're too old, you're from this particular racial. Uh, background and also you've got this comorbidity which actually is a disability because you've had it for longer than a certain period of time and the impact it's having on your health and of course like we've got to be really really careful because like if someone comes into hospital and they contract covid um they can die there's no two ways about it but it's this concept of shared decision making (laughs) and it comes back to what we were saying before it's almost like shared decision making is just that it's actually like have a conversation with the patient, give them all the facts, yeah, as much as you know, okay, let them make a decision. They don't have to make the decision in front of you. They can phone back and say, I would like to have this appointment, or I would like to have that appointment, or they can email you. But this is the concept of shared decision making. And, and sometimes I think we lose sight of that because of COVID. But no, 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 you, you can't come in. No, it's got to be via video. But the patient's like, no, hang on, I've been waiting nine months. I've been waiting six months. Everything's been cancelled. Do you know something? I understand the risk. I want to come in. Or do you know something? Yeah. I understand mm. the risk. I'm quite happy to do it this way. Okay, can we do it this way? And let's see if things change. And then maybe. And and I just, and, and that was the point I made at the CSB conference. And I was like, mm. I, I, I was almost like, mm. yeah, okay. But, I do think that we have to give patients, we have to work on this concept of shared decision-making. It shouldn't just be talk. We should act upon it um, as opposed to just talk about it. Because it sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, shared decision-making. We've got a nice guideline um, on shared decision-making. We've got it. All right, but we've got to act on it. We've actually got to do it. Um, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> So our uh, final sort of running theme with this podcast is we call it the three fives. Um, And it's a set of um, questions that involve the number five. So the first one is when you qualified as a physio, where did you see yourself in five years time? I thought I was going to be working in elite sport in a football, uh, for a football team uh, as a physiotherapist. (laughs) That's what I thought in five years. Um, but but actually, the reality of it was, um, luckily enough, I, I, I did a um, I worked for West Ham Football Club as a um, in as youth team physio, which was like evenings and sort of weekends. So that gave me um, an insight into um, working in professional sport to some degree. And actually, do you know what I realised? I realised that it was a bad move. I realised that if I went into sport. By doing that, I realised if I went into sport too quickly, that I would skill myself very, very quickly. And yes, I would be in charge because I had that sort of personality where, you know, I could talk, talk a good talk and I could lead people probably. But I wouldn't be able to continue to develop as a physiotherapist, um, not in the direction that I wanted to develop. So I wanted to be kind of broad and be able to, you know, deal with whatever came through the clinic. Um, so I didn't go down that, didn't go down that road, and I ended up joining the army at year. I think I must have been qualified for about yeah at year four. I ended up joining the army, which was a halfway house really because 
it allowed the brevity of musculoskeletal conditions. It allowed me to travel. Um, it also allowed me to work on my MSc as well. Um, and it provided some leadership experience um, as well, um, which professional sport probably wouldn't have provided me with all of those. I don't think I'd be where I am now if I got into professional sport um, one or two years after qualifying. In fact, I think potentially I, I would be a worse physiotherapist for it. Personally. Personally. That, 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 that might not be the same for everyone. <laughs> and you've touched on, on your sort of different roles, um, you know, within teaching and medical students and also your, um, your work with climbers. Um, if you weren't working in the, the roles or the areas that you are working in at the moment, what, what other areas do you think you might have chosen Ooh. to work in? Um, do you mean in physiotherapy or, or completely out of physio? Um, oh, we can go both. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, isn't it? It's funny. You're going to laugh, actually. But um, I probably would have... Women's health was really interesting, but as a guy... But as a guy, but as a guy back then, yeah, yeah. absolutely no chance whatsoever. I remember when I was a junior. <laughs> well, you know, Dampy, that's I amazing. Remember when I was a junior, Come join. Right, we had a women's health uh, rotation, and I kept on put, and I kept on saying I wanted to do women's health because I was like, no, 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 only because, only because I knew that as an MSK physiotherapist, I really wanted to be an MSK physiotherapist. But I was like, I want to do that as a junior because that's a part of my development. And I think that'd be really good. But like, they just weren't comfortable with it. <laughs> so I ended up, I think, I think I got a few hours with a uh, women's health physio. And she was brilliant, actually. She was so lovely. Um, but yeah, I think that was a no. So probably women's health might have been really interesting. So we've been trying to encourage our bands, like, um, if they listen to this, they're going to laugh because they always come and like, yeah. they'll just ask little questions about it and about like what we do and then we're always just like well it's going to be your next rotation so like come and join us and they're always just a bit like really um uh no like we don't necessarily want it to be like our next rotation which is really interested and like come on it's fine like there's an opportunity there and we've always said actually we we wouldn't we wouldn't mind if they Mm. wanted the opportunity to come and do the rotation they're more than happy it would be really really good actually you know, MSK, you know, somebody wants to be an MSK physiotherapist, um, you know, a rotation in women's health and obstetrics would be really, really helpful. Definitely. Because, you know, the Mm. pelvis and the spine, how can you separate the two? You just can't. Like, you just can't. The hip and the pelvis and the spine, (laughs) uh, you just can't separate it. So I think it'd be Mm -hmm. really, really good. So probably women's health would have been good and probably I, I probably would have ended up um, in respiratory, possibly, but had that bad experience, I didn't. Um, and, and, and probably outside of the profession. I mean, um, it's funny, actually, you say outside of the profession because at one point I, I wanted to be a medic, actually, at one point. But, but um, yeah, but it was interesting. I only wanted to be a mm. medic. My wife told me, she's like, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Aren't you? You're so doing it for the wrong reason. I had, like, the... Um, I had the, I think I call it post-grad blues. I was like, I'd, I'd started my first job mm. and I was like, this is rubbish. This is absolutely awful. I've, 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 done, I've done all this. I've, I've studied for six years. I've come out of a first and this is rubbish. We are right at the bottom of the pecking order. I was on some ward somewhere. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. It was just like, it was, it, it was just, it was at that time where, you know, wards weren't being managed particularly well. The, you, you know, I spent most of my time effectively, like, thinking if that was my mum, I'd be really annoyed if she was left, sold. I'm going to help her. Like, mm. I, I just can't. I can't watch and think she's desperate to go to the toilet. I'm going to bring the commode. So I end up, ended up doing, like, doing, I ended up, doing loads of stuff which wasn't really physiotherapy and I was just thought oh this is rubbish why am I doing this why did I spend all this time when I got into outpatient it all changed um but yeah no so I so I ended up um deciding that um I should become a medic and I needed to do a a level in chemistry and uh my wife said to me she said to me you're doing it for the wrong reason just wait bide your time until you get into the rotation that you want to get into I said no 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 Right. Okay. 
I, I obviously need to do this because I've gone into the wrong... Anyway, that lasted about six months. And then I got into outpatients and I was like, yay, this is brilliant because I had really good mentors. And um, <laughs> yeah, and you know, and that changed everything really. But I'm not sure what I would do actually if I wasn't... I probably, probably would have been... Probably would have stayed in the military maybe. Your experience in the military, has that really kind of influenced your practice? Yeah, it has. Is that... yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because you almost have to think quite philosophically about, well, where do you sit? Because at the moment... The military was influential in as much as um, it changed me from someone who was a physiotherapist and just did physiotherapy to somebody who had a much deeper appreciation of rehabilitation um, all the way through the stages. Because in the military, they did rehabilitation all the way through the stages. You know, um, unfortunately, in the NHS, we often, we often talk about rehabilitation, MSK rehabilitation and moving through stages, but we never quite get that far because we either don't have the patient mix we don't have the right case mix or the resources mm. are not there with the military the resources were there um mm. and we were surrounded by um rehabilitation instructors who were absolutely outstanding so when i went to afghanistan i went to afghanistan with a with a, with a rehabilitation instructor and we were basically a team for um six months um and he was outstanding and I learned so much from him. Um, so when I then left the military, I then realised that actually MSK rehabilitation, like we can be doing it so much better. Um, but I still had to, I still, there were still loads of gaps in my knowledge. And that's why I started my second MSC in um, strength and conditioning, which I'm doing currently in my third year at St Mary's. So now I've kind of, now I've kind of, because of the experiences from the military and that, and from a practice perspective, um, philosophically, I've had to really go back and think about my own philosophy. Well, well, what is my philosophy? And 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 because I'm because I now have two feet in two different in two different professions. Um, as a consequence of that, I'm almost like, well, am I a physiotherapist? Am I a strength and conditioning coach? Well, I'm not really a strength and conditioning coach. I am a physiotherapist, <laughs> but some of the things I do and some of the things I talk about and my philosophies um, sit in that other camp. I'm kind of a hybrid, really. So, um, you know, re rehabilitation and physical preparation are the two things that I do. Um, and I incorporate that into everything that mm. I do. And all my thinking around everything, pretty much, um, involves both camps. So I almost see myself now as a consultant in those two camps because there's two separate, because they're two complete separate entities. And actually, <laughs> I've had to bring the two philosophies together and and form my own philosophy before we do finish um mm -hmm. if you don't mind just telling us it doesn't have to be five things but just a few things that you really enjoy about your job and then maybe after that just telling us a little bit about what you would tell students or prospective physio students um sure. to okay. encourage Absolutely. them to join our profession Fine. okay so uh, what are five things I like about my job? Freedom and autonomy. I have freedom and autonomy in my job. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, um, I love problem solving. Um, uh, I also really, really like um, developing, well, not developing, that sounds quite arrogant, but helping other people to develop. Um, I probably can't give you five, but there's, mm -hmm. I, I love kind of, I love the fact also as well, that our profession is so cool because like we can we can pull bits of information from other people's professions and we can apply it in our own profession because we've got this wonderful concept called clinical reasoning which is amazing because it because it then means that you can pull on knowledge <laughs> from like all these other different places and even if it's not from our own profession it doesn't matter actually because it all comes down to how relevant is this to the person in front of you and the patient? So I love that. That, that was four. I probably can't give you five, mm -hmm. but that was four. Um, and then... That's fine. The last one was um, around people coming into the profession. Is that correct? So what I would say is, yeah, it's, you've, got be, you've got to be prepared to work hard. Um, and, you know, you've got two streams in our profession. Okay, You can do your job and go home. Or you can do your job and do a bit more and treat it like it's a vocation. 
Yeah. I think if you treat it like it's a vocation, it's really hard. Um, but it's also really, really rewarding as well. And generally speaking, hard work often pays off. Generally speaking. Um, I think coming into the profession or, or trying to get or trying to get a foot in the door, I think can be quite challenging uh, for uh, certain communities. Um, so I think it's really important that um, you try and reach out and get some mentoring where you can. And the mentoring doesn't have to be physiotherapy specific, but it has to be professional uh, has to be professionally specific, and what I mean by that, it's 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 just the little things, isn't it? You know, you might have really good A levels, okay, but um, but if you are, um, you know, for example, for example, if you're the first person to go to university from your family, um, or you're not from a family where you know where um, you know where there are professionals within your family, and like we were, you know, my my dad was a television engineer. My mum was a seamstress. Uh, my sister went to university. She was the first person to go to university, um, studied law. My brother then studied social work. I then went on to study physiotherapy. But we didn't have that network. Um, and so as a consequence, but I was lucky enough, I guess, because I'd been in the Marines, um, I sort of had a semi-network of people who understood what it was what it was like to be a professional so it was little things like you know as an example just well um you know interview technique something really simple like interview technique there is a technique to it um um there is a you know and you won't necessarily know that unless you've had someone there to guide you like you know to guide you around interview technique to guide you around um you know um, how to conduct yourself for that particular interview. And it might sound silly because, you, you know, people will say, yeah, but, you know, why should I change who I am? Unfortunately, um, you know, at the moment, um, you know, there is a certain perception of what it takes to become a physiotherapist. Um, and, like, um, like, if you want to get over the line, then you're probably going to have to modify your behaviour slightly. When Once you're in then you can start to change it. But if you don't get in to start off with, you can't change anything. So get in first. Um, but yeah, you know, I would say mentoring is really important. And I know like there's, there's, um, there's guys from uh, the Cultural Health Club. Um, they're on Twitter. They're really, they're really, um, you know, they're starting to do stuff around mentoring. Um, I've got a few people, I've got, I've got a few young, um, I say young, um, early career physiotherapists who are mentoring at the moment um you know sort of informally mentoring them but they're already in so people who are not in i'm not and and and, and i think that's and i think that's i think that's i think that's really really important mm. yeah and i would say actually um if you're going to treat your profession if you're going to treat what you do as a vocation i think you have to and people are going to, and people, you know, anyone that listens to this on Twitter is, is probably going to give me a hard time. But I think you have to go and do some postgraduate study. I think you have to. Like, if you really want to say, I want to be a specialist in this, you need to go and do some postgraduate study. You need to do M level study at some point. At, at some point. And don't get me wrong, look, you can be working at M level, okay, via a portfolio of work. Yeah, there's no two ways about it. And there's loads of clinicians out there that don't have an M, that, that mm. you know, don't have a master's, but are definitely working at master's level because, you know, they've got a portfolio which is M level. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do think if we are, if we are going to be accepted as, um, you know, autonomous practitioners in our own right um, by, especially by the medical profession, because you've got to think, you mm. know, 120 years ago, Okay, when we were formed, okay, at the start of the First World War, we were basically um, physiotherapists and occupational therapists, but basically a, a civilian women who were uh, college educated. Um, and, you know, we didn't like degrees and such like, it wasn't until the 1950s in, in America. And so if you think most consultants who you work with, um, at the very least, yeah, they've got an MSc. And probably some of them have PhDs. So, like, 
if we want the credibility, we're going to have to uh, put up. And postgrad education is really important. Um, so yeah, to wrap it up, I would say, and I am mm. obviously, I think postgrad education is really important. <laughs> uh, mentoring is fundamentally important, and be prepared to work hard. Um, but equally so, having said that, if all you want is a nine to five job um, and you want to go home and you want to forget about the profession, that's also okay as well. That's also okay. <laughs> I think that's quite good to say. I think that's good that you kind of like, you did the good, like a summary of, of, of both aspects. I think that cool. was quite a good Hopefully that was okay. Quite a good yeah. overview. I mean, some people are definitely going to disagree with what I said. And that's all right as well. Because I don't mind it. No, but the thing is, I don't really don't mind it. <laughs> and actually, it's kind of good as well. Because I think uh, if everyone just agrees, it's boring. Like, you know, you need some disruptive influences. Mm. <laughs> Thank you so much, Uzo. It's been so interesting talking to you and amazing hearing about how you got into the profession and the awesome things that you've been doing. Um, so, yeah, thank you so That's much for talking pleasure. to us. It's no, been a really, pleasure. really fun evening. <laughs> a real pleasure. Thank you. And that is the end of our final podcast of 2020. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed it. Um, as usual, we will put all of our social media links into the episode bio. We've got lots more interesting content coming next year, so please do keep your eyes peeled and we hope to see you soon.